Good morning, everybody. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he had made... God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay, do um, flash a picture of some guys up on the screen now. Uh, this fine looking group of gentlemen uh, are a hip hop punk rock band called the Bloodhound Group, uh, they, or the Bloodhound Gang, they produced a song uh, a little while ago called The Bad Touch. And the chorus in this song goes like this. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do like they do on the Discovery Channel. Now, they're making a really crass point uh, that, that basically... Uh, human beings are not, no different to any other animals on the planet and therefore we ought to function with our moral compass and just do what comes instinctively to us. Uh, now you may think uh, going to a group of punk rockers is not necessarily the best place to go to get your moral input on philosophy of life. Uh, you know, this is not my first put of call. But of course you know that the reality is that these guys, the Bloodhound Gang, are just echoing truths that philosophers in the 20th and 21st century hold to. People like uh, Peter Singer. Peter Singer is a professor of bioethics at Princeton University and Australian by birth. Now, he is a brilliant evolutionary biologist and ethicist. He's a prolific author. Uh, his books are on the basic reading list for introductory courses at university in both ethics and biology. Uh, this guy is top of his tree. Now... He has said this in one of his books, to give preference to the life of a being simply because that being is a member of our species would put us in the same position as racists who give preference to those who are members of their own race. Now, what he's saying is 
there is essentially no difference between us and animals. And if you think there is, you're being a speciesist. That is, you're the equivalent of a racist when it comes to differentiating between species. And this is a totally inappropriate thing to do. So are we any different to animals, to the rest of the animal species? Now, we'd like to think we are, uh, but the reality is we're a funny mixture as human beings, aren't we? Uh, We're capable of kindness and generosity, of creativity. Uh, We have qualities that aren't seen anywhere else in the world. The capacity for sustained logical communication. And yet you know that despite the fact that we're capable of loving, we're also capable of evil and hatred, of being malicious and destructive uh, in ways that are not there in the rest of the animal kingdom. We're such a strange mixture. Now, if we press on in Genesis to Genesis chapter 3, which we're not going to do in this series, but if we went forward a couple of chapters, what we'd see there is a snapshot of people turning their back on God. And from then on in, there's a corruption that operates in the human heart and in our world, uh, which, which goes towards explaining why the world is like it is and why human beings are like they are. But today, I want to stop here in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, and I want to ask the question about who we are in God's created purposes. What does it mean to be human? Or some of the questions we've just been hearing, what, what is the purpose for humanity? Uh, what is God's intention for us? The answer to just that one question. Who are we in God's created purposes? So let's look at it together. There's an outline in the leaflet, if that's good for you, and uh, we'll press on as we look at it. Uh, God, we saw last week, he's the hero of chapter 1. Uh, he's mentioned 35 times just in this first section of the Bible up to chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, he exists before all things. He creates and controls everything, and he is good. That is, all creation uh, reflects his, his character of integrity and love and mercy. The world that we live in, friends, it is not a random accident of nature. That's not the place we live in. Everything God has made has purpose, including humanity, including us. And in fact, the way that uh, this part of the Bible is written, uh, what we see here is very sophisticated literature. And the way it's constructed and the elements of it uh, contribute towards that understanding of the uniqueness of humanity. Let me just try and highlight a few features for you. Uh, As you go through chapter 1, all the non-human elements of creation are defined essentially by their relationship to human beings. Uh, So when you come to the creation of plants or animals, um, what you see, and even the planets, what you see is that they're defined by their relationship to human beings. If you go to day 4... Uh, verse 14, the, the lights, the moon and the sun, they're not cosmologically defined. What they do is they mark out the seasons or, or the calendar and that's for the benefit of human beings. Did you notice uh, on day six, if we read through the whole chapter, you would have picked this up. But when you get to day six, what you discover, that it's like a key change in a song. 
Now, let me make this really clear. I do not have a musical bone in my body. Uh, I can sing sort of, but if I try and clap and sing, I feel sick. You know, like I just, I really struggle. So having made that sort of call, let me say, when you come to, to day six, the creation of humanity, it is like a key change. Even I know that when you have a key change in a song, it signals a big finish or that we come to a major idea that we're going to emphasise. Day six, it all slows down just for emphasis. There's more words here in day six, a stack more words to describe all that's going on. Uh, When you get into the details, there's a big distinction that's made between animals and human beings. Uh, You get to verse 24 and it says, let the land produce living creatures. But notice when you get to verse 26, when God says, let us make man in our own image. It's so different at that point. Uh, The structure of this day places humanity right in the middle it's a, a chiastic structure for those who are interested in those sort of things. That is, it, it gives you focus right in the middle. Uh, verses 24 and 25, we've got emphasis on the animals. When you go to the other end of the, ver- the, the section, the day, verses 29 and 30 talk about the provision of food uh, for animals and human beings. But here in verses 26 to 28, the centerpiece, all about human beings and their significance even down to the detail of the words that are used. Now, let me show you this. I'm going to give you a little Hebrew lesson. I know you came wanting to have this this morning. But um, there are two words that are used in this first chapter to talk about how God creates. One is the word that's translated in our English translation as make throughout the chapter. And then there's another word that's used that's translated as create. They're translating two different words. So uh, God made comes up, say, in verse 7 or verse 16 or verse 25. Uh, Verse 7, talking about the expanse, verse 16, the lights, verse 25, the animals. But notice there's a totally different word used. Uh, So that make word is asa in the Hebrew. When you come to the created word, it's bara. It comes up in verse 1. And then in verse 27... When we get to human beings, it's created three times in a row. Created, created, created. Now, you you may say to me, so what? Uh, Fair fair enough question. But it's a very deliberate thing. Let me try and give you an analogy. Um, This morning when I got up, I got out of my bed and I made my bed. Okay, Actually, I didn't make my bed. But um, assume I did make my bed. Uh, But you get the sense of how important it is to me? I didn't even bother this morning, right? but uh, it's not a big deal. You just do it on the side. Right? Now, uh, Richard, who's my son-in-law, right? he is an artist. Right? When he uh, makes a print or paints a painting, he doesn't, he doesn't just make it. <laughs> he creates it. Right? It, it is a work of art that involves an investment of him in what he does. You see, that, that is so... Different. When God creates human beings, there is an investment and a connection uh, that is a step up from all the rest that he has made. It's reflected in the words here. Now, they're, they're just sort of literary clues or hints 
that highlight the significance of the place that human beings have. But notice, when we get to verse 27, uh, we get this, this detailed information about who we are. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what does it mean uh, to be created in the image of God? So when I jumped up to preach this morning, uh, did you think, you know, Paul Harrington, he just so reminds me of God, you know? Uh, I guarantee that's not the first thought that came to your mind, okay? So what does it mean to be made in the image of God. Now, there's been a huge amount of speculation on this over the years, uh, from physical appearance, intelligence, the ability to reason, uh, personality, communication, the capacity for relationships or love, lots of different ideas, and there's an element of truth in quite a lot of them. But, you know, the best way to work it out is going to the context here in in Genesis 1 and seeing what's pointed to by virtue of image of God. And what we see is that we are created with unique relational capacity, both with one another and with God himself, that sets us apart. So I don't know if you picked it up, but I noticed that uh, we're told there that God created the male and female. And you might say, no big deal. Most of the animal species in the world are male and female, so not... But did you notice that when the animals were created, no reference to male and female? Uh, That is, a special point is made to do with the creation of human beings, male and female, and that's developed when you get into chapter 2 and the nature of marriage and relationship. See, it's profound, actually, the difference that's being pointed to here. We're made for relationships, but we're also made for relationship with God. And you can see that... uh, as you examine how God refers to both the animals and human beings. So if you go to verse 24, that's what God says here. Let the land produce living creatures. Okay. But notice in verse 28, God blessed them, that is people, and said to them. You see, God communicates with human beings, in a way that he doesn't with with the rest of the created order. And it speaks of the nature of the relationship that we have with God. The second thing that comes up when it comes to our uniqueness is the way in which we have a a certain um, delegated authority and responsibility as we live in this world. Verse 26, here's the instruction uh, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air of the livestock over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then if you go along a bit further to verse 28, uh, the instruction is to subdue the earth and rule over it. Humanity is, is given both the privilege and the responsibility by God to actually look after the world. It's a delegated task to look after God's good creation. Uh, where to enjoy it? Because it's good. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. Uh, There's no question about that. 
but also where to care for it. Uh, But here's the thing. It's given to us on trust by God. So our task is to superintend it, uh, to look after it consistently with the owner's intentions. Understand, we're effectively caretakers in the world that God's made. Okay. There's some of the... um, some of the elements, we could spend forever actually uh, looking in more detail at what you discover here in Genesis 1 about the nature of human beings and you'll do more of that when you ask God just one question later on. Uh, but right now what I'm going to do is stop for a moment and try and tease out some of, the, some of the implications of what it means to be made in the image of God. And firstly, I want to talk about the, the fact that being made in the image of God means we have dignity and value as human beings, that's a given. Now, Peter Singer, he says that you and I, we have no more value than a pet dog or a chicken. Uh, that's basically just you know, much of a muchness in terms of the way we're made. But friends, I want to say, we aren't just uh, the result of a random throw of an evolutionary dice. That's not who we are. God says he has made you and me in his image. That is, he has stamped us with significance and purpose and value. And we ought to recognise that and put it into practice. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means we won't be uh, utilitarian. That is, we won't value people because what they can do or what they can give Uh, We will not differentiate between the worth of people based on their gifts or their personality or their intelligence or their beauty or their success. That is not the way in which we measure people. And that's why Christians uh, throughout the ages have always been at the forefront of social concern and endeavour. It's why Christians have always been concerned about issues like infanticide, or slavery, or abortion, or euthanasia. Uh, Because followers of the Lord Jesus have always been concerned to speak on behalf of those who are made in the image of God, but who cannot speak for themselves, because they have dignity and value that God has given them. And the implications of this, this truth, being made in the image of God, it works itself out in so many relational situations as, as you go through the Bible and you just think about life. I want to take you to one spot in the New Testament where you see the link between being made in the image of God and the way we should treat one another. It's James chapter 3. Come up on the screen so you can look at it as I read it through. So a letter to a, a church. When you get to chapter 3 in particular, the focus is on how God's people should be talking to one another. Uh, the way in which we should address one another, the character of that. And listen to what it says and listen to the connection between image of God and tongue, likeness and tongue. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness or image. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not be. Now, do you hear what's being said? 
You can't on the one hand say, yes, I'm a worshipper of God and I praise him, and yet come across another human being, you know, Mike Physic made the image of God, and I say, Mike, you stink. You know, you, you can't say... See, you can, I, Mike and I are friends, which is why I picked him out. Maybe not anymore. But, you know, um, <laughs> but you, you can't praise the maker and then discard the creature made in the image of God. You can't do it with your tongue. You can't do it in practice. You can't do it anywhere without being a total hypocrite and totally inc- inconsistent. Let me talk about... Um, uh, some of the blind spots, because my guess is, uh, having said that, you go, yeah, of course I know that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So where's, where's this likely to bite us? Where are we likely to have troubles when it comes to this? I want you to imagine with me that uh, maybe you're heading up to Tea Tree Plaza or maybe in the mall in town, and as you're walking along shopping, you see a, a dishevelled and uh, uh, down-and-out Bigger, just on the side of the, side of the road, basically in line with where you're going, but about 100 metres down the track. When you're in that situation, um, what do you find yourself thinking? You know, do you find yourself thinking good anticipation? There's another shop over there I'd like to go to. You know, sort of walk around. Do you find yourself? just averting your eyes, suddenly the sun looks very interesting. Or you, I know it's a complex social dynamic question, but you understand that that beggar uh, is made in the image of the God who made you. That beggar has significance and importance because of that very reality. I'm not saying what therefore you should do, I'm just trying to pick up on the, the way we treat one another as human beings and the way we're inclined maybe to treat each other not the way in which we should. It can be with uh, poor people. Maybe you do find yourself having a, a blind spot when it comes to certain nationalities. Perhaps it's someone with a disability or a, a difficulty that you tend to look over. Maybe, um, maybe it's uh, to do with the sense of aesthetics, uh, the way someone looks. Or maybe it's to do with intelligence. Uh, do you think that professors of medicine are inherently more valuable than unemployed used car salesmen? They're not. <laughs> They're not at all. Do you understand? Both made in the image of the Creator God, both with significance and value because of the way in which we have been made. Friends, this is the truth about how God has made us. Peter Singer, he's a very interesting man and, and I really haven't done justice to his writings, which are more complex and nuanced than uh, obviously I can cover today. But it was interesting, his mother contracted Alzheimer's uh, about the turn of the century. And she'd made it very clear that if she ever contracted Alzheimer's, she wanted to be euthanized. 
And Singer himself, Peter Singer, held that same sort of philosophical view. That is, once you get to that point where you're unable to contribute to society and you have difficulties, much more sensible to invest our resources to other species and animals uh, that can actually contribute more towards society. Peter Singer and his sister spent hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, caring for their mother as she declined in her health with Alzheimer's. A few years later, a Singer was interviewed by a journalist, quite a brave journalist, who asked him how he could reconcile his theoretical views that he published in his books and writings with the way in which he treated his mother and invested so much money in her. And this is what he said. It's different when it's your mother. And of course it is. But see, intuitively, I think he understood, and I think all of us understand intuitively this real truth of being made in the image of God and what a profound difference it makes. And actually how attractive it is. How powerful it is. Let me just briefly touch on a slightly different point. Being being made the image of God is obviously linked with our responsibility to take care of the world. Uh, You picked it up as you go through this this sixth day. Uh, Apparently, uh, we share the sixth day with animals and apparently there's a higher level of our genome that's duplicated in, say, a chimpanzee to human being. Uh, Huge overlap. But there is one difference. And here's the difference. Unlike human being, uh, unlike animals, human beings are tasked with responsibility to take care of creation. Now, next week, I'm going to flip back to this issue uh, when we talk about the nature of being made to work and resting and the, and the whole role that we have. But a couple of comments on caring for our environment. Uh, this has been a huge issue this year, hasn't it? In the head-up to the election, you know, coal-fired power, um, the whole question of the environment, sustainability, it's, it's really been on the agenda, but it should be for Christians. Uh, humanity's had a, a terrible track record in terms of how we care for creation, how we steward it. We tend to manipulate it, we tend to strip it, we tend to utilise it to our own advantage because of our greed. Now, what... What can Christians contribute to this environmental debate? Uh, Often Christians have been blamed, actually, for a lot of the world's environmental problems. And people will go back to Genesis chapter 1 and they'll say, ah, the Bible says Christians, you know, people are to rule and subdue the earth. And they translate that as sort of rip it off and destroy it. But, of course, you can't possibly come to that view if you read this chapter. There's when you read this chapter, you know that a good God creates a good world and he asks humanity to take care of the good world consistent with the way he has made it. You can't possibly think we're meant to just ignore him and just rip it off. We have, we have responsibilities under God to look after the world that he's made. Rule in this context doesn't mean exploitation and it doesn't mean greed. And subduing it means caring for a world in a way that reflects God's good intentions. Now, we could spend weeks on this topic, and some of you will be much more able to talk about it than I can. 
Uh, but that is the reality, the big principle here. Let me come to the final thing that I want to focus on, which I think is at the heart of this understanding of being made in the image of God. I don't think you can be fully human unless you know and have a relationship with the creator, the one who made you. I'm going to show you a print uh, up on the screen now, hopefully. Yes, here it is. Uh, Sue and I have been spending a bit of time in doctor surgeries and, uh, over the last 12 months or so, and uh, when you get to go to a surgery, you get to have a look at what's on the wall because it's unusual for doctors to be on time, actually, I've discovered. So uh, in one of our... Um, no, not being offensive to any doctors here, no doubt, very timely, but... Uh, <laughs> This print was on the, uh, the wall of one of the specialists we went, went to visit. And you'll be able to pick up that it's a, a stylized picture or, or print of the Rundle Mall. Uh, you can see uh, the Mall's balls there. And just above the Mall's balls, I don't know if you can make it out, but it's like there's an eye that's sitting there. And I think that the, the Mall's balls uh, represent the tears. Uh, and that's because... The whole print focuses on the sadness of a culture that's gripped by materialism. Uh, look at the print. We're pigs at the trough. Uh, smog and desert landscape are what highlight this sort of mall picture. And they highlight the, the environmental problems that we have. You see the mechanical arm that's coming down on the side? You probably can't see, but it's plucking up a foreigner uh, to dispose of them from our land. In Genesis 1, we are made in the image of God. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, what you see there is the way in which humanity rejects God. Uh, We reject living in relationship with him under his loving care. Actually, what we try and do is be God ourselves, which destroys relationship with God, It it destroys relationships with one another and it has a destructive impact on creation. Now, you cannot have right self-image unless you serve the one who made you in his image. That is, if you ignore God, you lose identity and purpose as a human being. In Colossians chapter 1 in the New Testament, We're told there that Jesus is actually the image of the invisible God. It's picking up on exactly the same language. And in doing that, it's it's highlighting two aspects of who Jesus is and what he came to do. That is, Jesus shows us what it means to be truly human. You want to know what the true human being is, then it is Jesus himself. But the second thing that it highlights is that Jesus came into this world to help us recover our true image, our true identity. And we need that because every single one of us has turned our back on God. We need rescuing. Mark chapter 2 in the New Testament, uh, at the beginning of that chapter, Jesus is back home teaching. And he's in a house and The crowds around the house are just huge as he teaches and heals. There are four guys who have a friend who's a paralytic and they bring him along on a mat to see if they can get him close to Jesus so Jesus can heal him. They can't get even nowhere near 
right? So they climb up on the roof of this house. You'll know the account. They dig a hole in the roof and they lower their friend on this mat right down in front of Jesus. Now, what do you think they're hoping will happen to their friend? Well, they're hoping that Jesus, the one who can heal, will restore him. And so what does Jesus do? He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. I want you to imagine at that point what this guy and his friends were thinking. This is what I think they were thinking. You come to a church for a meal and you get a sermon. That's what they're thinking. (laughs) I didn't come here to get forgiven. I came to get my ability to walk back. So why does Jesus... Jesus is not thick, right? Why does Jesus do it? Well, here's the reason. Because this man's biggest need was to have his relationship with God restored. To be restored in that relationship, the true image of having a relationship with God. And that can only happen if you have forgiveness of sins. That only happens through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jesus actually goes on and he heals his body as well. But I want you to see that the priority here for the Lord Jesus Christ is seeing us restored. Restored in the image that we're meant to be. Restored in relationship with God and that affects everything in our lives. Friends, to be fully human is to know and live under the authority of the one who made you. Now, there's almost certainly going to be some people here today who actually aren't at that point. We are in a right relationship with God for a whole lot of different reasons. You uh, might have grown up in a Christian family, you're thinking it through, maybe you're here just exploring. Can I say, you cannot be uh, a complete human being unless you actually are forgiven and know the one who made you. And you want to explore that. It's so critical. Friends, you and me, nothing but mammals. Friends, so much more. You're made in the image of the one who made the universe. He made you for relationship with himself. That is such an extraordinary privilege and quite an amazing calling and purpose. It really is extraordinary. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for just the deep realities that are embedded here in this part of your word. Uh, The way in which you have made us with intention and purpose. Uh, We're not just stumbling around from one disaster to another in life. You've actually made us for a relationship with you. Uh, You have all authority and all power and all purpose. And Father, we pray that we'll recognise that um, our image, our identity, our self-understanding doesn't come with what we can achieve. It doesn't come with the gifts that you've given us. It doesn't come from any of those things, from the approbation of the people around us and what they think of us. Father, we pray that we'll understand that our identity 
comes from the one who made us, from you. And Father, we pray that in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we'll see that we now have restored relationship with you through forgiveness of sins and a purpose that endures for all eternity because you've made us for eternity. Uh, Father, help us uh, to fully comprehend, to keep understanding uh, the way in which being made in your image uh, stamps us with a profound uh, sense of calling and purpose. Help us to work that out in our lives. Help us to work it out in this community of believers. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.